0: Hey
1: there, it's Gary Parish It's Sunday, December 30th, 2018. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Matt Norlander is here with me. Hope everybody had a good weekend, or at least a weekend better than the Pac-12's weekend because the nightmare of a season for the Pac-12 somehow got even worse this weekend. Utah got smoked at home by Nevada, so Nevada, of course, stays undefeated. Princeton, which entered the weekend ranked 197, the Ken Palm, goes to Arizona State, beats Arizona State. This happens just a week. After Arizona State knocked off Kansas, so now the Sun Devils are out of the top 25 and one, which means no Pac-12 schools are in the top 25 and one. Santa Clara beat Washington State in the state of Washington. Seattle won at California, and UCLA dropped to seven and six on the season thanks to a 73-58. That 73-58 loss at Poly Pavilion to Liberty. Now Liberty isn't terrible, long as we're being fair, but sure. Richie McKay's Flames were coming off a Uh, lost to austin p and they spent saturday beating the bruins in westwood by 15 points as you probably know that's now four straight losses for ucla and two of the losses are home losses to belmont and liberty and when you consider uh, this is the same school that fired ben hallen after he literally won an outright pac-12 title it's becoming increasingly clear steve offord isn't likely to survive this nor later i won't even ask you if you think steve offord's going to get a year seven because i already know the answer to that question here's my question is Offer going to make it to 2019? Will he make it to February? Will he even finish this season as UCLA's coach? <laughs> Will he
0: make it to 2019? This still, is, got this, still got a day. They got a day. This is the last podcast of 2018 for CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball. UCLA 7-6 and six on a four-game losing streak and... 80th and Ken Palm Liberty 78. What's the record is inexcusable. What makes it worse is that you lose at home to Belmont and Liberty, who by the way will be good enough to steal a game in the NCAA tournament. No one cares about that now. It doesn't matter. UCLA should not be losing these games at home, even when you're going up against the great Rick Bird, Okay, and you're coming off a finals week. There's no excuse. That the Liberty one is just bonkers. Um, I. I don't know. Uh, Alfred isn't owed, you know, a king's ransom, so to speak. I don't know all the figures. perish. I think I've got it. Um, but it's not, if, a, it's not. It's not. It's un- not I'll let you finish here. It's not, it is not yeah. unreasonable. It's not some insane number.
1: No. Um. If I'm if my research is correct, um, if they were to fire him today, they owe him three point six million dollars, and then that number drops to two point six million dollars. If they wait to do it after April thirtieth, two thousand nineteen, which is you know obviously a that's a clause happening. in the contract yeah. that benefits Steve because it, you're 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 costing yourself if you wait till mm-hmm. um, May first to fire your basketball coach. I mean that, that's that is, I mean you need a coach in late March, early April at the latest because recruiting is going on, uh, kids are transferring. So um, it, it is true again, according to. To reports and what I found today that they can save a million dollars by waiting till May 1st to fire him. But you just, if you're going to fire him, you cannot wait till May 1st. You just have to eat the million dollars and you just have to eat the million dollars.
0: Right. So, a couple of things on that. And we got a lot to, to untangle here with Alfred and UCLA. But on that note, I agree. You don't wait. The only reason, yeah, the contracts are set up specifically. It's not even a ton of money. So, do it if you need to do it. But, and I don't think this is going to happen. And, in fact, it's not going to happen. But in some weird other world, if you had a Billy Donovan type and you're like, okay, well, we think that we can get we can get it done with Billy Donovan or an NBA coach, well, they won't be available until May. That's the only time that ever works, and it almost never happens that way. Now, I know UCLA fans are going to have – Sky-high expectations of who they can bring in. And I don't want to get into that until Alfred's actually gone. Because, uh, frankly, Paris, that's a long conversation. And I don't want to go an hour and a half on this podcast. Um, but I know we will get to it. And uh, the fan-level expectation of that job versus who they're going to bring in versus what that job actually is, I think, has actually become a pretty fascinating dynamic overall. The question is, will they cut ties immediately um, and get ahead of it? Right now... I- I, I, I don't really have one strong opinion one way or the other, Parish, because I don't think that Officially cutting ties with Alfred makes it any more likely that you're going to get a candidate. Because frankly, if you're Dan Guerrero, the UCLA Athletic Director, you damn well better be making moves at this point already. Like whether Alfred's gone within 16 hours of this podcast publishing, or he's gone the the very last time they lose in March, uh, you know the 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 movement needs to be made, and it will be made on behalf of UCLA and then the agents representing the potential coaching prospects.
1: Right. Uh, I'm not a big fan of firing a coach in December. And we're not just like randomly bringing this up today. There are people reporting that UCLA is at least considering um, firing Steve Alford like now uh, before UCLA's next game. Um, I'm not a big fan of that. If a, the guy has given you five good years and Steve has given him five, you know, I don't care what UCLA fans say. He's given them five pretty good years, you know, been to the NCAA tournament four times in five years. Uh, three Sweet Sixteens in his first four seasons. Um, that that you know, and, and you know, without context and perhaps even with context, is is pretty good. I know that the recruiting rankings suggest that maybe he should have done more. Um, because, uh, you know, last season they go to the first four, which means they snuck into the tournament. They lose to Saint Bonaventure, and then this season they're obviously, you know, barring a huge surprise, not going to the NCAA tournament. And so that would be two straight years with no NCAA tournament wins, despite a 2016 recruiting class that ranked 11th nationally, a 2017 class that ranked fifth nationally, and a 2018 class that ranked sixth nationally. So, and I've heard this from some UCLA fans, and I I accept it as a as a reasonable point. If you want to say, yeah, three Sweet Sixteens in four years, or you know, let's include last year, three Sweet Sixteens in the first five years is is good, but it's not good when you've gone, you know, top. 11 recruiting class top five recruiting class top six recruiting class oh okay maybe 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 you have a point but still in a time where the fbi is making one program after another look bad we really haven't there's been no smoke around ucla so you got a guy who's mostly one and a guy who hasn't got your program in trouble i i I don't know that i don't know why you would fire him in december um you can do it if you want. Like, if they do it, I won't write the column saying, I can't believe UCLA would do this. Like, do whatever you want. It's a business. I don't care. But I I don't know why you do it unless you think, and there is some of this out there as well, that Steve has simply lost this team and that if you remove him from this team and put somebody, anybody else in charge of this team, that maybe he can get a very talented roster, the new guy, to respond to him. Like, if you sincerely believe that, then maybe – there is a reason to go ahead and do this now. But short of that, um, there, there is no reason to do it now. And it, it does not prohibit you from going ahead and, and getting pretty far down the line with a, a list of potential candidates because all of this stuff, or most of this stuff these days, is is done with third-party representatives, agents. And if the UCLA athletic director wants to get a, a feel for whether Eric Musselman or Greg Marshall or Fred Hoiberg or whomever – would be interested in his job if it happened to open. You can find all of that. Out. Hell, I could find all of that out, you know, by, by tomorrow at noon if I wanted to. So could the UCLA athletic director. All it takes is some conversations with some agents, conversations with some search firms, and you'll know who's a real candidate and who's not a real candidate for your job. So um, you can start that work. Um, before you fire Steve Alford, like this old school unwritten rule of you—you you don't start looking for your next coach until you need a next coach. That's just—that's um, just not the way the actual world works. And so, um, I, I don't care one way or another, but i, I don't see the advantage to firing Steve Alford now unless you genuinely believe somebody else can get these players to respond to them in a way that Steve no longer
0: can. Maybe, but the Pac-12 does you no favors with this. It's a—it's a brutal league. We can get to that in a minute. Uh, but, but the, the overall <laughs> – I mean, it just uh, – Well, how, your I, point, I,
1: the problem is, okay, you, you, you fire Steve Offord, you put an interim in, this guy, like, gets control of the team, they respond to him, and then what? Whatever. The- there's not, there's not enough opportunities to get good
0: wins in your league because your league sucks. And even if you get the wins, Parrish, it's not even that impressive because how bad the league is. It, it's, it's it, like, What, what I are mean, you measuring it be, against?
1: If you don't have an at-large resume right now, it's going to be hard to build one in the Pac-12 because you're not going to get opportunities to get good wins because there's no good teams. Of
0: course. And and UCLA, make no mistake about it, like, it has zero business being a 7-16 and with that roster. Zero. I know that it took on preseason dings in a major way. Sharif O'Neal. Is out had a heart uh, issue, and Tiger uh, Campbell, who was going to be a a pretty, I think, impactful playmaker. I don't think he would have been the difference between this being this team being a seven win team through thirteen games and an eleven win team through thirteen games. But that was significant. But still, you can't be seven and six overall. Here's what I wanted to bring up. So I went back when I just wanted to. Put this out there for you and for the for the public to uh, t- to hear about. This is when Alfred got the job. So when that happens, um, it comes off of New Mexico being a three seed, uh, having one of the best records entering into the NCAA tournament. They get beat by Harvard. I was there. It was in Salt Lake City. It was the first time Harvard ever won an NCAA tournament game. Alfred had just signed a 10-year deal with New Mexico. Bryce Alfred, his son, was, was going to go play for him at UNM. Here's what I wrote when it happened. Um, uh, let's see. Man, it said, my thoughts in short, it's not an upgrade from Hallen. Did Ben have to go? I think so. But there's not much divergence of personality here. If anything, there's now a lowered bar of expectation, really, Alfred is 5-7 and seven in the NCAA tournament, hasn't reached a Sweet 16 in 14 years, and isn't cozy with the media. I think he can and will have some success, but I ultimately believe he'll be gone in less than seven years, and UCLA won't be upped in prestige or profile when he leaves. I also don't think he takes it to a Final Four, and I think the fact the past two UCLA coaches, Lavin and Hallin, getting fired for making three Final Fours and eight regional semifinals appearances clashes with the philosophy to hire this man. I want you to hear, Parrish, what you and a lot of other people said when Alford was hired cuz I I don't know if you well before I bring this do you remember what you think you would have tweeted and written when this happened
1: I don't remember word for word or any passage but if I'm if I do remember correctly I thought it was it ran counter to everything UCLA said it wanted, which was postseason success and up-tempo basketball. And they were hiring a guy who had had no postseason success and did not play up-tempo basketball, and they hired him to an incredible contract that was always going to make it difficult uh, for them to get out of of a bad situation if it became a bad situation. I think I remember writing something to the effect of um, UCLA just paid money to make a coach go away, who's better than the coach they're hiring for more money?
0: Okay, so you, you're on the you're on the right path here. Um, I'm just gonna to drop a few tweets here. Greg Doyle, Alfred isn't a great hire for UCLA, but UCLA tried to hire greatness, and greatness said no. Perish. Steve Alfred will be fine at UCLA, I think. But I bet the school never thought it would hire a man with a 5-7 and seven record in the NCAA tournament. There is a there is a tweet that has been deleted by a certain person who is now coaching in college basketball. I will not read that tweet. Um, <laughs> it's just funny that it was – see, the way that Twitter works with these embeds in the stories is the tweet still shows, but the actual Twitter link no longer works. Um, uh, oh, perish! I'm actually scrolling down the thing here, so I have not read these, but I knew that they were involved. You go, breaking st- – <laughs> This is 11.01 a.m. on March 30th, 2013. Steve Alford is already on the hot seat at UCLA for a lack of postseason excess. That is a joke, but it uh, based on some, uh, a lot of reality. Um, our buddy Brendan Prunty, that's an interesting hire by UCLA. Now, you know, unfortunately, uh, out of the business and a great writer who should still be covering the sport. He goes, Steve Alford, fire Ben Howland with three final fours. Hire a guy who lost as a three seed to Harvard. Okay, UCLA. How about Jeff Goodman? No, that tweet's not good. That's boring. But I do have a Goodman thing coming up. Seth Davis. Hold on.
1: Hold on. You got to be out of your mind. Goodman had a boring tweet.
0: I know. (laughs) I know. It's bad. It's not even worth reading on this podcast, but I do have a Goodman (laughs) thing coming up before we get out of this Alfred topic. Here's Seth Davis. Our buddy Seth, I know you're listening. Here we go. I actually think this is a solid hire. Steve Alfred is a terrific coach, but I doubt UCLA fans will view it that way after the Harvard loss. You are correct. Bomani Jones. I just want to see the list so I can see the names between Brad Stevens and the dude who lost to Harvard last week. Keep in <laughs> mind, Alfred's tournament resume the last six years matches John Thompson's the thirds. Geez, who is Alfred's agent? He's a magician. Um, Dan Dockich. Alfred de UCLA is a perfect fit. Better than, <laughs> better than, better than Riley Hair. I assume that's Pat Riley, big time Cali recruiter. Terrific style of play. Walton has to approve. Um, Dan, Wal- I got a couple Good more one. here. I got a couple more. He, he's wrong an awful lot. <laughs> isn't he? All right, if you wanted the window, I was gonna, I was gonna just keep driving and not get off that exit or whatever. Um, uh, Dan Walken says there aren't many accomplished coaches who are hireable. Not sure why UCLA is getting panned other than Twitter hates everything. That was in 2013. It means all the more in 2018. Uh, Doug Gottlieb made an Enron joke. And um, I think that's, uh, Thamel says if you pulled 50 college coaches, this is fascinating to look back on. Who is a better coach, Holland or Alford? I would bet Holland wins 75% of the vote. I would say that it would have been even higher than that at the time. And now, it's 95 if not if not higher now real quick and now
1: Ben howland has got Mississippi State in the top 20
0: exactly and and Steve Alford
1: 7 and 6 with better with better prospects and a better job and he's about to get fired
0: yeah now all right you wrote a column that day and so did Goodman both for cbssports.com um do you want me to read some of yours first or good I won't read the whole column but I'll read a couple select graphs who do you want to go with first
1: well, if it uh, if it sounds good, then use mine. If it doesn't, <laughs> okay. just ignore it.
0: No, no, it's not. It's, it's not bad. Your your lead is Steve Alford would do just fine at UCLA. I think. I, th- I me, that's good. I that's think accurate.
1: Has, I think he has done just fine.
0: He has done just fine. In fact, I would define this as just fine to this point, including the most recent loss of Liberty. If you take everything, but uh, but you wrote, there's no denying it's hilarious on some level that UCLA fired a man, referring to Howland, because he supposedly played a boring style and didn't win enough lately in the postseason to hire a man. Alfred, whose team ranked 221st in adjusted tempo this season. Look at Parrish referencing that stuff in 2013. Been doing uh, it for years. Uh, I, I didn't think you would come along that so, so soon. Uh, you mentioned the loss. Um, you quote Guerrero, and then Damn, you really do. You you go to town on this adjusted tempo stuff. You're 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 referencing <laughs> you're referencing where New Mexico was. They averaged 181st in tempo. Your but your overall point was what they did here. It's not really a significant upgrade. And to get rid of Ben to hi- bring in Steve, it might be okay. You say I'm cool with the hire. Uh, it might not seem that way, but I'm cool with it. But what I'm not cool with is pretending it's something other than what it is. Simply change for the sake of change. And That's all it was. It
1: was change for the sake of change. Um, that actually downgraded the person in in the head coaching office. But it, yeah. what what UCLA did is this. They decided they did not want Ben Hallen anymore and then they went out and hired the best coach they could find to take the job not named Ben Hallen.
0: Correct. That's it. Yeah, that is it. You're listen, this is now the second time in like a month that we've referenced in a years old column you've written that you might've thought was worse off than it was, but you're, you're aging gracefully here as we, uh, as we sneak up on your 49th birthday. Um, here's what, 42, 42. <laughs> here's what goodman wrote the headline, which he didn't write, but the headline says Alfred set up to succeed at UCLA, despite questionable resume. And to be fair, he has succeeded to a certain point. Um, He says Alfred's never had a job like UCLA. He's been at Southwest Missouri State, Iowa, New Mexico. There isn't much homegrown talent in those areas. There are those who want to discredit UCLA. The fans don't care. There's no support. Expectations are too high. All of those things are still mostly true. Basically, facilities aren't up to par. They've improved them since this column was written. But you can win a a title, national national title in Westwood. Ben Callen came damn close three times and Goodman goes on to make a point of how ripe the area is with talent um, how many of Holland's former players were crushing him for his uh, inability to provide freedom within the style of offense that he was playing and he didn't connect with key AU guys in the area and he says Goodman says that'll be key for Alfred it's not like he's inheriting a major rebuilding task mentions that they're bringing in Kyle Anderson Jordan Adams Tony Parker that was legit talent but the overall It's a quick column, but he says Alfred should succeed at UCLA. He can coach, recruit, and has the ego necessary to handle the job. What else do you need players? He'll have plenty of those as well. So to a certain extent, our good buddy Jeff Goodman was right. He didn't go so far as to say this is definitely going to work. But when you look at when he was hired, Alfred, it was fascinating to go back because there were not a lot of people that were on board with this. I would say that Alfred about met expectations. I won't say he overachieved, but recruiting-wise, he about met what we thought of him. And now when he doesn't translate and you're at a top 10 program and you're sitting here, that's why this is bound to end the season. I just don't think there's any way. I don't even think Parrish – If he went, what they play eighteen league sixteen and two in the league and won it, like I don't even think that would be enough to save his job. I think it's been so bad to start. There's no turning it around.
1: Well, you gotta always remember they they've never embraced this hire. You know the fans never love Steve Alford. Sometimes schools make a hire and the fans love it, and then it just doesn't go well, and then the fans are like, all right, this is this is enough they they didn't like this from the beginning. They were flying banners above campus to fire Steve Alford, you know, the summer before Lonzo enrolled. And then Lonzo was so great that he made that team great and that that cooled it for a little while, but then last year it got right back to where it was. Basically, and now um we're, you know, we we're at a place that we've never been before. This isn't any longer just uh, you know, a couple wealthy guys flying banners because they're unhappy. This is um, you know, uh, uh, an athletic department seriously on the verge of, of of making a change either soon or at the end of the season but if we were getting live odds on Steve Alford's future at UCLA will he or won't he you know be the coach at UCLA at the start of next season uh, overwhelmingly
0: um
1: you one know to, the, the, the money would be unknown on, <laughs> yeah. 1 He's, to
0: 40 like the, the odds would be insane like yeah yeah He's yeah.
1: he's he's not he's, he's almost certainly not going to be the coach at UCLA uh, next season. So who will be? And I know you said you don't want to get into that, but I do because <laughs> okay. because people will Google search it. Who's going to be the next co- head coach at Fair. UCLA? And if you put that in a headline of a podcast, then you get more listeners than you otherwise <laughs> would have gotten. You're correct. And so I got um, just a list here of, of a handful of guys that I think would take it or at least strongly consider it And they're guys that I would strongly consider for the job. I've got a list of five. You tell me if you like these five, and you tell me um, who you'd add to the five, because we can make the list whatever we want. Uh, Eric Musselman, for obvious reasons. He's the head coach at Nevada, and Nevada's undefeated, ranked third in the top 25 and one. Uh, Greg Marshall, which is a guy who I believe UCLA could have hired when they hired Steve Alford if they'd have just waited till he was done with that season, that's the season that Wichita State won its Sweet 16 and Elite Eight game at Staples Center in L.A. Um, my understanding from talking to people was that UCLA wanted to talk to to Marshall. Then he refused and just said, "Wait till my season's over, and then I'll be happy to talk." And I think he would have taken it then. But they they got crazy, anxious, and antsy, and they just decided uh, we can't wait. And they could have waited; it would made no difference whatsoever. <laughs> Um, but they said they can't wait. They hired Alfred. So and then Marshall got big money to stay at, at Wichita State. Um, but Greg, I believe, grew up on the East Coast. His wife, I believe, grew up on the West Coast. And now they're—I don't want to say locked in Middle America because they're making 3.3 million dollars. They're happy. But I, I could see a desire to maybe get a little closer to to the ocean, to the water. Um, plus UCLA is just a, a Big time job, unlike anything Greg's ever had. I, I think that if UCLA wanted Greg Marshall, they he'd, he'd think about it and 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 possibly do it. Or Earl Watson um, is the name that gets thrown out there a lot. He's a UCLA alum, head coach of the Phoenix Suns. wasn't great with Phoenix, thirty three and eighty five uh, as head coach. But like, um, whether it's Rick Pitino, John Calipari, Lon Kruger, what you do in the NBA has never mattered uh, to an athletic director on a college campus, nor should it. Fred Hoiberg, obviously great at Iowa State. Pretty good with the Bulls, I guess. But he is um, a free agent, if you will. And if he wants to return to college basketball, that's somebody UCLA would be wise to look at. And then the last name, and let me be clear. I do not think UCLA would do this. But if I were UCLA, (laughs) I would strongly consider doing this because I think (laughs) think it would be awesome. I know what you're going to say. Rick Pitino.
0: Oh, gosh. It would be incredible. It would be
1: incredible. And it would be a quick turnaround. I, I, everybody knows how great Rick is as a basketball coach. You can you know, have your opinions about him on, 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 on a variety of other subjects if you want. But as, as a basketball coach, he's incredible. So he takes the Providence job. He's got him in the Final Four in year two. Takes the Kentucky job. Got him in the Elite Eight in year three, Final Four in year four. Had Louisville in the Final Four in year four. So he's taken his last three schools to the Final Four in as early as two years and no later than four. I, I would be, you know, you never bet on these types of things, although I probably bet on dumber things. But, like, I, it's reasonable to think he could get UCLA to the Final Four within three years. And he's yeah. only 66 years old, and he's a young 66. By that I mean uh, when you talk to him, he's still sharp. Um, he takes care of himself. He's in tremendous shape. Uh, so, he, you know, he, the idea that he could coach another six, seven, eight years is not is not crazy. And I know that the reason UCLA, I know the reason some people would say they wouldn't do it, and the reason UCLA probably wouldn't do it, is because of all the stuff that happened at Louisville. But think of it like this, Rick Pitino, to this point, has only been proven guilty of two things. And I'm not trying to spin this, but, but this is true. He's only been proven guilty of two things, of A, hiring an assistant who broke NCAA rules. And I know he broke them in a wild way. Stripper parties and hookers, I got it. But but hiring an assistant who broke NCAA rules and then running a program that was aided by a shoe company. Well, and, 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 and to this day, nobody's ever been able to show any evidence that Rick had any knowledge of either thing. Now, I, I've said it on this podcast before. I'll say it again now. I don't think he had any idea what happened with the stripper parties. Had no idea that was going on. I do think he probably had an idea that Adidas was helping with Brian Bowen. All right? That, that's what I believe. But, but I can't prove that, and there's no wiretap or email or text message that proves it either. So he hasn't been proven to be directly involved with anything. The only thing that's been proven is that he hired an assistant who broke NCAA rules in a wild, uh, wild way and that he was running a program that was aided by a shoe company. Well, guess who else? had assistants who allegedly broke NCAA rules, had to be fired. Sean Miller, Arizona coach, Pac-12 school. Andy Enfield, USC coach, Pac-12 school, and then also, of course, Bruce Pearl um, at Auburn. They all had assistants who had to be fired because they broke NCAA rules, just like Patino had an assistant who had to be fired because he broke NCAA rules. Every one of those coaches I just named still employed, still doing well. Uh, Andy Enfield's got... Uh, Sean Miller's got the number one two, number one recruiting class in 2019 committed right now, and Andy Infield has the number two, and Bruce Pearl's got a top 20 team. Um, and then there's Bill Self and Mark Turgeon, who also allegedly run programs right now, aided by shoe companies. And we both know there's more than those two, but the FBI has shown that there there is allegedly those two. Bill still got a job at Kansas; he's doing fine. Probably about to win a 15th straight Big 12 regular season title. Turge doing less. Um, uh, not doing quite as well, uh, but still he's 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 got a job and he's still recruiting and you know, still got a basketball team that can make the NCAA tournament. So Petito has been proven guilty of two things, but nothing that Sean Miller, Andy Enfield, Bruce Pearl haven't also been found guilty of, and nothing that Bill Self, Mark Turgeon, and who knows how many others haven't also been guilty of. So if you just want to not hire Rick Petito because you don't like what he represents – you don't like the the uh, what perception that might create? That's fine. I I understand that. But the idea that he's unhirable in college basketball—that's insane to me. And if I were UCLA, and again, I don't think they'll do it. I would I would strongly consider it.
0: Um, that's with all you just said. I'm thinking of back to the past years worth of podcasts and the conjecture around Patino when we talked to coaches over the summer <laughs> whether he'd ever coach in college again uh, it's it's just oh, oh oh
1: let me be clear i think at this point
0: he's going to coach in college again yeah uh he's obviously now in greece he just like he just took the job like 4 days ago <laughs> um, and he's got he his first win like 2 days ago i know there it's, there's a video of him losing his mind on his team you'd think he you'd think he knew these dudes for 7 years no Knew him for seven hours. Just incredible. <laughs> um, of the names you gave me, I will put them in order. Um, and this is not an order of, like, how likely they would be to land it. Just my preference. I would say Hoyberg one, Musselman two, Patino three. And Patino, because of all the noise that comes with it, Parish. And He's older. So, like, if you get Hoiberg and it's a home run, you get him for 20 years. Patino, like, it's like 8 to 10. So I just take that into account. Um, Marshall, 4. Earl Watson, 5. I, Watson's a wild card. His name keeps coming up. Maybe he will be a viable finalist eventually down the road. Uh, he'd be fifth. Uh, a few more names to throw out because guess what? <laughs> There's going to be, like, 40 names thrown out for this job. Um, don't know that they'd pursue him, but if his team really got on a roll, makes the NCAA tournament again – uh, he's young, good-looking, really good reputation in L.A. Mike White, averaged 24 wins so far as a coach. Gotten a four-seed and a six-seed at Florida. Um, maybe, maybe just in the mix there. Uh, sneaky candidate that I, that you know would be interested in it and is off to a tremendous start this season. Uh, his coaching acumen is not doubted and, and, you know, spent some time in the pros, has... Uh, has less of a controversial NCAA background than Rick Petino, not considered the coach that Rick Petino is. Um, but Kelvin Sampson is 13-0 with Houston. Uh, we Had a really good team last season, and I would think that he would be a sensible person to interview for that job if Houston continues on its path. And then the one call that I think you just have to make now, there are a lot of calls that you could say, oh, you got. You got to make it. Not Mark Few. He's already turned this job. And you never say never, but like, there's like a 99% chance he's not taking this job.
1: Mark Few is the one guy I feel yeah. completely comfortable with. Yeah. Not the one. Jim obviously, also. Roy Williams, Mike also. Mike Krzyzewski. But like, <laughs> I, I Mark Few is yeah. retiring at Gonzaga.
0: Yes, for sure, for sure. Yeah, no, no. So I'm just saying, like, that's not the name I was getting to. Um, but for those that might not be aware, he was previously courted by UCLA. He's not leaving Gonzaga, um, even though we both believe he'd do a good job. The one name that's lofty, that I think you make a call to is Tony Bennett. Um, just, to, just to see, just to see. You know, he was out West before. He was in that conference before. He did incredible things uh, over a short period of time at Washington State. So I think you just make that call. I We are nowhere near the stage where we, if we're writing – Coaching candidates, you put Tony Bennett on that list because, frankly, there's nothing to suggest right now that he or his family would desire to go and live in Los Angeles. But if, for whatever reason, he you know uh, he and his family think that that is a, a really interesting opportunity, then you just never know. So those are just a few more names. Since you wanted to get on this uh, on this highway for a minute, and by the way, we are more than a half hour into this podcast, and we're talking about UCLA and Alfred. I don't object to it, but this is really setting a record here. Just a few more to consider. More will come up. Um, we'll wait and see on what happens with Alfred here. I'll wrap it with this parish. Um, like, do you think he's gonna get fired mid season? Just yes or no? Like, I, I, if they are okay in Pack twelve play, I, I don't think that they will fire him mid season. If it really continues to dip, maybe. I know people are speculating that yeah, it might just happen. But I, I lean more no than yes that he'll get canned pre March.
1: I think they don't want to do it. But I also think that if this continues to go the wrong direction, um, that they could. Now the good news is that he opens Pac-12 play with a couple of home games against Stanford and California. That's like the best combination of you know you know Pac-12 teams travel together. I think everybody knows this, right? Stanford and Cal right, travel together. Oregon, Oregon State travel together. Arizona State, Arizona travel together. Um, it's actually, like, one of the real cool things about that league. Like, they they have traveling partners, and you go to this, you know, you play the same teams in the same week. He opens in the best way possible. Uh, Home game Stanford, home game California. So he should win the next two. Um, But then it goes at Oregon, at Oregon State, at USC, home against Arizona State, home against Arizona. So that would be five straight games that are very losable. Particularly, particularly if you've ever already lost a Liberty at home and Belmont at home. Um, and if they were to lose five in a row, including one to a rival in USC and a rival in Arizona, I could see them maybe pulling the trigger then, sure. I don't think I some people have thought they like they're gonna do it today. I don't think they're going to do it today because I don't think they want to do it. But if they go through that five game stretch that I just described and they go like oh and five or one and four, I could see them. you know, schools react to like, like, okay, we're, we're thinking about doing this, thinking about doing this, then they get embarrassed and they go, okay, let's do it. That happens all the time. And I could see it happening here, sure.
0: I, 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 uh, I don't guess I predict it. Okay. So yeah, I, just bottom line, I, we, we, we're not predicting it. I, I, of course could see it happening as well. But there's no stakes here. I'm just asking you to say yes or no. Will he be fired before March?
1: Okay, how about this? I'll go I'll go out on it. I'll say yes. Okay. But I think he's gonna have one of those bad stretches that just makes him say, you know what, we're not watching this anymore. Okay. All right. Like like it's it's not the most rational bunch out there, you know? <laughs> like <laughs> like they, they they have uh like they I, I think they decided in uh, maybe even before Ben's last year at UCLA that they were gonna fire Ben. They just like I mean, the guy won a Pac-12 outright title and got fired. Like, they just wanted to fire him, so they did it. Now, they did wait till after the season, um, so perhaps that's, that'll be the thing here. But yeah, I guess I'll say it like this. If Steve Alford goes – okay, here we go. This is exactly <laughs> what I'll say. If Steve Alford has another four-game stretch, like the four-game stretch he just had, he'll get fired. Yeah, obviously. That's not the question. And, okay, let, I'll take it a step further. And I think he will have another four-game stretch like that. So, I think he will get fired before the end of the season. There you go. Okay. Um, One thing just, on Tony Bennett, yeah. I, I know you mentioned him. And, listen, if I were UCLA, I'd make the phone call, certainly. But, A, does UCLA fans want a coach winning a game 49-47? <sighs> they, or, more, more likely, 49-47? But do you want to be winning? I know, like, I know, I know. I got it. Like, And, secondly, if you're Tony you got such a good thing going. I mean, like, you've got Virginia set up. You're rocking and rolling. They actually appreciate it. Like, Virginia fans, like, take great pride in the style of play as opposed to UCLA fans and be like, what is this? And I just don't. And, and you, to go to a place that has fired people who have accomplished more than you I don't know if, you, if you're if Tony Bennett, if you even think about leaving Virginia for that.
0: Right. But if you're UCLA, I really think you have to make a phone call. He's one of the top five coaches in college basketball. And if you're UCLA, you're a blue blood. You think you think that at your best, you're a top five program, which, you know, that's debatable now. Then if you're Dan Guerrero, you have to make that phone call, in my opinion.
1: All right. I'm sure we'll talk about Steve Offert's po- possible replacements again many times on this podcast. But uh, let, let's, uh, like Brian Gumbel says on HBO, let's move on. <laughs> Let, let's get back to the Pac-12 just in general, though. Like I said earlier, it was another way earlier, like four hours ago. It was another bad weekend uh, for the Pac-12. UCLA, of course, lost at home to Liberty. Utah got smoked at home by Nevada. Arizona State lost at home to Princeton. California lost to Seattle at home. Washington State lost to Santa Clara in Spokane. So now every, te- every team in the league has lost at least three times. The Pac-12 has zero teams in the top 30 at Ken Palm, zero teams in the top 30 of the NET. It has only one top 50 NET team. That's number 31, Arizona State. It has only one top 45 Ken Palm team. That's number 39, Oregon. If you've been keeping track, you might know that the Pac-12 members this season have suffered losses to Texas Southern, Princeton, Kent State, Montana State, and Seattle, Santa Clara, and Hawaii twice each. Seattle has beaten Washington and Cal, or or I should say Washington State and Cal. Santa Clara has beaten USC and Washington State. Hawaii has beaten Utah and Colorado. And according to the Associated Press, the Pac-12 is currently 38-36 and in the month of December, which means it is now guaranteed to become the first major conference in the past two decades to finish the month of December with a winning percentage below 600. Norlander, on a scale of one to you're basically performing like a mid-major league and should be embarrassed. How bad are things for the Pac-12 right now?
0: That second part right there. Horrendous, uh. horrendous. December, November, all of it. Um, if not for Arizona State getting that win against Kansas, it'd be, it would be really brutal. You mentioned the teams that have lost to. If you, are if you as a major conference, are losing to schools and places that you would want to vacation to, it's a terrible, terrible year for you, okay? <laughs> and that is exactly what's happening. Even shouts to Seattle, which I know gets a lot of rain. That's an awesome city. So uh, Seattle gets a win uh, this past weekend as well. Five fourteen winning percentage for the Pac-12. Um, there will be no recovering from this this season. The absolute maximum quote me is three bids for this league and that's if things break the right way one bid pack 12 hashtag let's get it rolling because it's a reality it can really happen if Arizona State proves to be the best team in the league and then gets the auto bid now if Arizona State is able to separate itself or if Oregon's able to place decently I actually think Washington's gonna win the league I like Washington's talent um, maybe we'll see something there. I don't envision a scenario in which you can get four teams in the league. Even if it's the top four teams right now are Arizona State, Washington, Oregon, probably Arizona, probably. Um, Even if those teams beat up on everyone else and then just knock each other off, it's still not going to wind up looking strong on the team sheets when we get to March. So I'm going to say two-bid league for Pac-12. I think they'll get two in. One is absolutely on the table, and this this will be worse, in my opinion, I think it will be worse than the Pac-12 in 2011-2012. We talked about this seven or eight podcasts ago. That was a season where they only got two in, and it was Colorado and it was Cal. They were both double-digit seeds. Uh, it would be a bitter irony if this happened again. Washington won the league this season the way it did that season. Didn't get in that year. If it did it again and didn't get in this year, uh, that would sting in a major way. But, I mean, I, I'm going to write on this this week, Parrish. I, I'm not quite sure what else to say in the here and the now because I'm going to do some other research here. Um, there have been other leagues that haven't been good either that need to be a ten. Mountain West is way down, way down. Mountain West, so um, it's it's actually weirdly good for maybe a couple mid majors if they don't win their their auto bid, but. Uh I don't know what else to say. It's a disaster. It's a disaster in basketball. It's a disaster in football. Like, the Pac-12 in basketball didn't even win a tournament game last season. In football, no one's recruiting well, can't break into the college football playoff. So the league itself is going through a very significant crisis. And on top of all that, you know, whether you want to say it's Arizona or UCLA as the flagship program, those fan bases would absolutely dig their heels in uh, that their respective ones are. Well, Arizona's been caught in the FBI stuff, and UCLA's in the midst of trying to fire its coach because it's it's in a 7-6 a and six mark. So there's nothing redeeming to say about this league right now whatsoever. It's it's bad. It's bad up and down. And the the biggest reasons to watch are Bull Bull is a fascination in Oregon, and Arizona State's fairly decent, and Lou Dort, their freshman, is probably going to be a lottery pick, and he's fun to watch. But other than that, there's just nothing here with this league.
1: That's the other amazing thing. Like according to FBI testimony and wiretaps, like they've been cheating. <laughs> like why, why? Why? Why can't you end the pact twelve better? Like uh, you've got Arizona, who according to basically every wiretap that was played in court or or the transcript was released in court, like they Arizona was trying to buy everybody. Like if you had a player to sell, Arizona was a buyer according to the testimony. So um, you know. And I understand, actually, why their, why their roster got put in a bad place. Everybody left, and then these te- this testimony, or supposed testimony, cost them a recruiting class. I got it. But there's also testimony that Oregon was willing to buy. Oregon's not very good, although Oregon hasn't been healthy this season, so I acknowledge that. USC had to fire an assistant coach. Mm-hmm. USC's terrible this year. Like, the, you can – I think it might be true. The Pac-12 was more caught up in the FBI investigation than any other league, and they suck at basketball. How's that happen?
0: Even if you go back to like the stuff came up, I don't know if this would have been I couldn't keep track parish of what got reported what didn't, but like even Fultz's name at Washington came up in the <laughs> trial. So like even like you know, you peel away there's even stuff there as well. Um yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's And like Markel Fultz, where's Markell from? The other side of the country.
1: Yeah, like, come on, man. <laughs> like, like, listen, I'm not here to, uh, you know. Uh, it, it, but, like, come on. <laughs> Michael Pulse is on the other side of the country and went to a crappy Washington program. Uh,
0: it's just – it's uh, it's horrendous. The only reason to watch these games going forward is just to see how far Bill Walton is willing to take himself and what he's willing to say during these broadcasts because it's just – it's bad. Um if you're looking if you're looking for some positives, and if your Pac twelve will give you some
1: positives. Okay. Arizona's got the number one recruiting class in two thousand nineteen right now, and USC's got the number two recruiting class in two thousand nineteen right now. So whatever dip this is, it does appear to be temporary, but you're not supposed to dip this far. You're not supposed to go from being the conference of champions to a conference of crap. And it's a conference of crap right now. Hashtag conference of crap. <laughs>
0: Yes, It is. And if you want to just uh, highlight the differences between the USC and the UCLA job, or at least, you know, the way the fans perceive it and how much it all matters. Um, Steve Alford, you know, four tournaments in the first five seasons. He's on year six. They're terrible, whatever. He's He's going to be gone. He does not have quite the class, obviously, that uh, that Andy Enfield has right now at USC. But USC is. They got no business being six and six with this roster, and I know if you, their best player has actually been injured as well. But uh, Enfield got an eight seed, and eleven seed. Uh, never made a Sweet Sixteen. Missed the tournament three the other five years. So his, overall, in totality, you know, Enfield hasn't been as good as Alfred. He just hasn't. But his job is more secure because he's got a little bit of better of a recruiting class, and the expectations, the bars, just not nearly as high at uh, at Southern Cal and hoops as it is at UCLA.
1: Also, and and I don't know. I know this didn't get talked about enough nationally. It might get talked about enough, you know, in L.A. I don't know. But Steve and Andy both had openings on their staff. And Andy used his opening to hire the father of two five-star prospects. Yes. And Steve didn't. And I really do think that's perhaps not the – like maybe Steve would just be on this path no matter what. But the reason – because I know our buddy Jeff Goodman put – you know, he tweeted the other night, or maybe it was a week ago, two weeks ago. Like Andy Enfield's on the hot seat. No, he's not. Not when he got those kids coming. When you got the number two recruiting class in the country on the way, and it doesn't even include the t- the class of 2020 kid, who's amazing. Like you're not on the hot seat. Right. Those kids buy you time. And Steve didn't make that hire, and perhaps he just couldn't. I don't know. But but Andy did make that hire, and I really do think that's the difference between Andy being completely safe. And Steve being on the uh, on the verge of of not being the UCLA coach uh, anymore. Kentucky won at Louisville on Saturday. We're going to discuss that momentarily. But first, check this out. So Kentucky beat Louisville on Saturday at the Yum Center. Final score, 71-58. Basically controlled the game from start to finish. So these same Wildcats um, that had zero quality wins and zero wins away from Rupp Arena just eight mornings ago are suddenly 10-2 and with a win over North Carolina on a neutral court and a win over Louisville at Louisville. So here's my question, Orlando. Is that 34-point season opening loss to Duke that we both witnessed in person still worth considering? or are they just way past that now and simply a totally different team than we saw in opening night?
0: Uh, worth considering on a granular level because Duke was an anomaly in that regard and continued to look really, really good. Rank cast the number one team across essentially almost every metric that's out there that is uh, that is predictive, and Kentucky has gotten better and better, starting to look like the team we thought it would look like, and I thought it would be a closer game than it was. thought Kentucky would win. I believe you had Louisville winning. Um, I did. Thought Kentucky would win, but not like this. It was impressive. I think it was equal parts, and I don't think this is usually the case in all games. Like sometimes, I think a team might uh, a result might be much more because of one team than the other and what one team is able to uh, do in imposing its will or, or a certain style, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But I actually thought in this one it was a lot of what Kentucky is capable of, and then Louisville just showing where it is right now as a program. You know, you get that game on your home floor, Chris Mack, you want to really get it because you know you got to no, go to Lexington next season. Who knows what the Kentucky roster will look like next season. But um, I, I watched most of the game. And I'm loving the way that Kentucky is defending. Tyler Hero stepped up in a major way. And if you can get, like, we've seen now, like, Higgins is awesome. Like, from a defensive standpoint, like, just he's really good. And, and it's, I don't know, maybe he's going to be able to play the point better than I thought he was going to, to be able to. So if you get that, team playing well defensively. And then Tyler Hero stepping up, he had 22, 22, 23, 24. He was, he was in the, the mid to high 20s there. Uh, and played maybe his best game of his college career so far. That's the that's the stuff right there. That's how Kentucky is going to be able to compete for an SEC title, get back into the mix of getting a really good seed overall. So a very good win for Louisville. It just might be one of those kind of years. Like you know, as I said on the previous podcast, a nice opportunity. Now you're nine and four. Two of your next three are on the road. We'll see. Maybe they're a surprise team in the ACC, but I think it's just going to be a middle-of-the-pack team this season in that league, and that's just okay. That's fine. Chris Mack's first year entering that situation, nothing to hang your head about overall. Kentucky did what uh, what it needed to do to prove that it can climb back up and to be a top-ten team in the, in the sport. Uh,
1: remember on the last podcast I said that I had talked to m- multiple SEC coaches who told me that they thought – Kentucky would be better without Quade Green, and they, they didn't mean it as a shot at A as much as they meant it as, you know, Cal was given A minutes that maybe he didn't need to give him, even though Quaddy didn't think they were enough. That's why he transfers, but you tighten the rotation, and you get your better players on the court more often, and then just, you know, every one of John Calipari's teams gets better, except for the one that had New Orleans Noel Terra's ACL, and that team was as we talked about before, getting better. That team is the NIT team for Cal at, at Kentucky, but that team was going to the NCAA tournament. So you combine the fact that Kwade's departure forces John to tighten his rotation and keep his better players on the court more often with the fact that John Calipari's teams almost always get better with time, multiple SEC coaches, and, and I agreed with them, thought that Kentucky's going to be fine. And this was before the North Carolina game. Hey, they'll be fine. Don't worry about them. And they look fine now. You know, I don't know if they'll ever be what we thought they were in the preseason, which is a consensus top two team in America, because that's what they were. Um, or at least that's what most people believed them to be. I, I don't know if they'll be that, but I know they're going to be good. And they're going to be a threat to Tennessee, Auburn, Mississippi State uh, in the SEC. And they're going to have a chance to go to a fifth Final Four uh, under John Calipari. That uh, that, seems, that seems clear to me um, after these past two games. Um, you mentioned Chris Mack. One of the things he said post-game was that, you know, they never – they got this amazing crowd in the Yum! Center. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's a great um, college basketball. It's like a pro arena, uh, but it's it, like when they've got it rocking and rolling, it's it's a great place to see a basketball game. crowd really does have an impact, and yet it didn't seem to uh, on Saturday. And Chris said afterward, like, we never gave our crowd a chance to get involved. Because it really did feel, and I don't know if you watched the game, but it felt like they were were down 11 the whole game. Like just like from the fifth minute to the 40th minute, they were just like down 8 to 11 the whole game. Like never a real threat uh, to win it. And that's a testament to Kentucky. You know, to have a mostly young roster go into a rival's home arena, you know, I don't know what it holds, 18, 19, 20, but a whole bunch of people largely rooting against you. And to be able to handle it from the jump, I thought that was really impressive.
0: I agree. I agree. A good sign forward. Um, Was hoping the game would be closer. But it wound up being, like, with the exception of what we're about to get to right now, like a fairly, uh, uh, like, quiet weekend in college basketball. Quiet weekend in sports for the most part. Um, Some NFL stuff was decent, but even the college football playoff semifinals were both relative snoozers. So I, I was... The hype was nowhere even close to being matched on the college level in both sports.
1: Yeah, there were 14, to your point, ranked teams that played on Saturday, and they all played unranked opponents, and 12 of the 14 won. The only ones that didn't, um, we mentioned already, Arizona State losing to Princeton. And the other one, what did we tell you about Wisconsin having to go to Western Kentucky? Yep. They got caught! <laughs>
0: If you're Greg guard, how are you feeling about that? Your AD makes a deal for the football <laughs> side, and then you gotta go play at WKU. A, a slumping WKU oh, team, but oh, you gotta play I that coach. With, you uh, he uh, yeah, is
1: furious. Yeah. I promise you there's a point on that trip, probably when they're trying to find somewhere to eat in bowling green, Kentucky, <laughs> where he goes, Why am I here? Because my AD did a football series? Why am I in bowling green, Kentucky tonight? I got a top 15 team. I'm in bowling green, Kentucky against Rick Stansberry. And Rick Stansberry's recruiting class. It's a dangerous spot for me. Greg, like, Greg Gard got put in a spot by his athletic director, unless there's more to the story than I know. Greg Gard got put in a spot by his athletic director that most college basketball coaches would not get put in.
0: Barry Alvarez is a silent assassin.
1: <laughs> silent assassin, indeed. So those were the only two uh, ranked teams that lost this week. In Arizona State, I dropped out of the top 25 and one. Wisconsin, I dropped all the way down to 26 because they do have some good wins. But they also have a loss to a sub-100 Kimpom team. They are the only team in the top 25-1 and one that's got one of those, and they're only 5-3 and three in their in their past eight games. But the game of the weekend I do think was a game that we spent uh, a lot of time on Friday's podcast discussing, and that is Seton Hall-St. John's. Seton Hall beat St. John's on Saturday night 76-74, even though St. John's only trailed, I looked this up today, for 16 16- seconds in the entire game. St. John's was only behind in this game for 16 seconds and they lost the game. 16 seconds. Red Storm were up 14 in the first half, up 10 with 6.18 left, up one in the final seconds and then they got screwed and lost. Now let me set the scene for you in case some of you missed it. St. John's is up 74-73, 3.9 seconds left at the Prudential Center. Seton Hall is inbounding under St. John's basket. So they inbound the ball, and then uh, L.J. Figueroa tips the inbounds pass and then bats it to a teammate as he's jumping out of bounds. The teammate was not immediately surrounded by anybody, so it's possible he could have just ran the clock out. At worst, he's going to get fouled. Like, at best, he just is smart enough to throw the ball straight up in the air, and then the game's over. But if he's not, Mm -hmm. then he's going to get fouled and shoot two free throws at the other end of the court with a second left or something like that. The game's over. Uh, St. John should win the game. But a ref blows the whistle because he thinks Figueroa was out of bounds when he batted the ball to a teammate. Uh, Problem is, he so clearly was not out of bounds. It's just a terrible whistle. So Seton Hall, because of this terrible whistle, gets another chance with 3.1 seconds left and naturally uh, Shavar Reynolds buries a three-pointer at the buzzer. Final score, 76-74, Seton Hall. So St. John's is now 12-1, and but St. John's really should be 13-0. I know you watched it, Norlander. Just a – I mean, really, a crappy deal for Chris Mullins' team, right?
0: All right. Yeah, ter- terrible. But St. John's is, as you mentioned, it shouldn't even be in this position to begin with, okay? Missing, like, two front-end one-and-ones when it could have helped salt away the win, blowing a lead – Looks fairly solid for most of the game, and then, I mean, I don't know what to even say. like. I don't even know what to say. If you're a St. John's player, coaching staff, uh, member, fan, whatever, you got totally screwed by an inadvertent whistle. Nothing you can do. I mean, they're gonna—they'll probably protest behind the scenes, but it's—it's it's going down. It's it what it is.
1: Is the what it is. the, the result it. is the
0: result. Like it sucks. Like you never, not never. You almost never see that. That that is a once out of every what million games that gets played. That kind of scenario, really weird. And then yeah, Seton Hall. I mean that 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 winner is ridiculous. Um, painful to watch for St. John's, but for, for anyone else that wasn't uh, emotionally invested on from a fan perspective or I guess a betting perspective, uh, it was a it was a gorgeous winner and, and good for Seton Hall. Big takeaway is this. St. John should have had the win, okay. And if they get the win, they get a good road win in league against a quality team that's going to fight for an NCAA tournament bid. But instead, St. John's goes from being thirteen and zero, and I think probably cracking into the polls for the first time on Monday. Now it's twelve and one. It's got a terrible non-con. It's going to be. You fighting. think?
1: Hold on, hold on. You think St. John's is going to crack the AP poll on Monday?
0: No, no. If it had won. Oh no, definitely. It, uh, I don't know, definitely, but it it would have had a case. Short. I think it would have. Finally broken through, I think. Um, and now it's 12-1, and 1, demoralizing loss. Yes, it can turn around and beat Marquette at home, but now you're like, you might be bringing in the best team in the league. After a loss like that, you're going to be fighting uphill. It's, the fortune's vastly flipped in a matter of seconds. I feel for you, Johnny's fans. You know you should have had that game before it even got to that point, but to have an official blow the whistle like that, it's, it's just it's just it's terrible there's no other way to say it it's terrible it
1: is true that it should have never gotten to that point like i i accept that but what i reject is when people say and sometimes coaches say this i think they're just being um you know what they think they ought to be but you hear it all the time you know no no one called decides a game you hear that all the time yeah yeah but like no one called decides a game or no one play decides a game well I did a whole radio show on this not too long ago. That's one of those sayings that people say. You hear it all the time. That's just not true. What? Well, no one play decides a game. Well, yeah. Sometimes one play decides a game, like a game-winning, like buzzer beater. It decides a game. If it goes in, one team wins. If it misses, the other team wins. Literally decides the game. Um. Well, you know, one no call, one 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 call doesn't decide a game. Yes, it does. This one did. Like, there's a whole bunch of things that people say. I don't want to get too far into this. But it's just not true. Like, you know, um, everything happens for a reason. Well, no, everything doesn't happen for a reason. Like, sometimes things just happen. It just life Life's random. Or, uh, I don't want to get religious, but sometimes people say, yeah, you know, you'll never have too much put on you. Dude, every day people have too much put on them. What are you talking about? Um, all these different things. And I submit that in sports... The saying "no one called decides the, the game" is one of those things. Like, yeah, yeah, this called the side of the game. That whistle decided this game. If that whistle is not blown, St. John's wins the game undeniably. The whistle was blown. Seton Hall won the game, and that's infuriating to me. If I'm a St. John's fan, if I'm Chris Mullen, if I'm Shamori Ponds, if I'm anybody connected to that program, we should be undefeated and ranked in the top twenty-five on Monday. Instead, with 12 and 1 coming off a loss and headed into a game that might drop us to, to 12. And we talked on Friday about how important this four game stretch was. And we said, listen, if St. John's can come out of this 2 and 2 in this four game stretch, which means they go from 12 and 0 to 14 and 2, that doesn't sound great, but it would actually be great because it would suggest that they're on their way to the NCAA tournament. So if the goal, w- and I got some tweets from St. John's fans, they were like, hey, you're exactly right. We just want to go 2 and 2 in this four game stretch. Well, you were 1-0 through 1 until an official screwed it up. Now you're 0-1-1, which means now you've got to win two of the next three, and two of the next three are home against Marquette at Georgetown and at Villanova. I don't want to say that's a season-altering no. bad whistle, but it's a bad
0: whistle that yeah. cost them a game they should have won. I'll leave it with this. Not just that. Shavar Reynolds is a bench player. It was his second three-pointer of the season. And if you even want to take the ball out of his hands and put it in anyone else's. (laughs) And a former walk-on. Correct. Okay. And Seton Hall ranks 237th in America in three-point percentage. It's not a good three-point shooting team. Now, it's hit some big three-pointers. It went nuts against Kentucky, and it's it's kind of bizarre how it's been able to uh, get some high-profile wins in that fashion. But this is not the team that you lose to under those circumstances, and yet it happened to St. John's. It's brutal.
1: Absolutely brutal. So, listen, St. John's fans, I'm with you. At some point this season, you need to get a win that was supposed to be a loss. Otherwise, the world's just not fair. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M. Fentigo. He's a legend. Shouts to Larnell. He got $15,000 once upon a time. If you haven't subscribed to the Allen College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcast, please go do that. and Rate it favorably. That means five stars with nice comments. That's all I've ever asked from you. A lot of you, lots of you have done that, and I, uh, we truly appreciate it. But if you haven't done it yet and you got, like, 11 seconds that's all it would take uh, please go do that uh, when you when you get a chance that's at Apple Podcast you can subscribe to the CBS Sports Ion college basketball podcast it is the best way to make sure you get the next episode sent directly to your phone um, ASAP so you do that and then we're going to talk to you again on Wednesday I promise till then take care